Today's program is brought to you by Happy Chef Uniforms, the perfect style, whatever your recipe. Visit happychef.com to order your free 2018 catalog. Food and travel, they go hand in hand. And chances are, if you're a fan of Heritage Radio Network, you love them both. Between April 10th and 24th, we have six incredible food and travel experiences up for auction at charitybuzz.com. Go on an underground food tour of New Orleans with a rocket scientist. Get your hands on VIP passes to Feast Portland or enjoy a ranch to table experience in wine country. Four of the experiences include hotel stays at some of the most iconic properties across the country, including the newly reopened Hotel Claremont in Atlanta. Now's your chance to win the ultimate bourbon and beyond weekend in Lexington or take in a Latin food tour of New York's outer boroughs. You'll eat, drink, explore, and relax, all while supporting Heritage Radio Network. Help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash auction and bid now. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Why Food Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey. And I'm Ethan Frisch. Why Food is about all the brave individuals who have taken a big leap of faith and uh, stepped into the food, beverage, hospitality industry. Tonight uh, is our last show of this season. I can't believe season four. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we are welcoming Carolina Santos uh, Santos Neves. Yes. Um, Chef, collaborator, writer, extraordinaire. Thank you so much for being here with us. Wow, what an intro. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing to be here. Enjoyed our little lunch. Yes. A little, a little, a little pizza before, little, uh, you know, before little, we talk. A little pizza, pizza time. So um, we, we kick off every interview the same way um, with your aha moment. How did, you, how did you know you wanted to be in food? You'd worked in food media for a little while, uh, but at some point decided it wasn't enough to just cook at home. It wasn't enough to have dinner parties with your friends. You needed, you needed to do this professionally. <laughs> yes. So, so you were sort of in the food world, but, but not in the kitchen. And what was that? transition like to to go to culinary school to to quit your job to pursue this this dream yeah well how about how do we feel about several (laughs) aha moments apparently i had a lot of those um so yeah food was a huge part of my upbringing i i traveled a lot growing up largely because of my dad's job and um so it was always you know i found that it was always something i spoke talked about all the time and i was like uh there's like i should probably do something uh with this eventually and yeah, I was in, you know, my first job out of uh, college was to do online marketing for movies and music. And I'm like, love movies, love music. Um, but actually, I left that job being like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go do food, which I think I was saying earlier at lunch. I was like, I am kind of surprised I even did that. <laughs> um, but it took it took a minute for me to get into food uh, full time and you know, what's funny is you have those moments, you have your close friends, you're always sharing your passions and you're like, yeah, food this, food that. And I'm sure a lot of them were like, yeah, can you like get on that already? Um, but there was just one specific conversation that I had with uh, a friend of mine, Eric, and he's like, just do it already. <laughs> and, and I'm like, yeah. And then he actually introduced me to Dory Greenspan, who's amazing and such a 
uh, inspiring person and, and cookbook she, author. Yeah, and chef, incredible yeah. work with Julia Child. Worked with everyone. Uh, yeah, amazing cookies. <laughs> Love you, Dory. <laughs> and um, and I met with her, and she was kind of like my first introduction to someone who had really done a lot in the food world and she inspired me she's like you know I just started a blog let's just start a blog and was I think she started her career later on in in life like I used I believe she used to write and then she just got into to doing recipe um to doing cookbooks um I'm not sure all those facts are correct but something along those lines. <laughs> but so then yeah you know New York is such an incredible place um I'm definitely someone who loves meeting people and then just being like yeah I'm yeah I'm getting into food going into food and surely enough was introduced to someone Soraya Darby who's amazing uh, who was working at Epicurious at the time and she and I met with her and she's like well they're hiring for um, you know a uh, data entry I'm like done yes that's me that's me and surely enough that was my first uh, job in 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 media in food which was at Epicurious and, and um, was it as, as glamorous as, uh, as so you can glam. imagine so glam <laughs> But I got along with everyone there. It was such a beautiful team. And, and, you know, before that, I had contemplated culinary school many times. And for whatever reason, had not. it was not the right time. Um, and so as, as I left Epicurious, um, that opportunity had ended because it was a one-month gig. Uh, they were like, stay in touch. And I'm like, okay, now what? And contemplated culinary school again. And then I got a call back or like an email back and an opportunity to go and work there as, I believe, was editorial assistant. Back at Epicurious. Back at Epicurious, uh, which is where I was for five years and left as an associate editor and was in charge of the taste test section of the site. Oh, yes. Tell, us, of, tell us about the taste uh, test. It was amazing. <laughs> what, were some, what were some of the things that you taste tested? We definitely tasted ice cream, uh, chicken noodle soup. You which a, what's, I mean, your, who, what's your favorite yeah, what vanilla was the ice cream? Yeah, what the best ice cream? <laughs> uh, let's uh. It was all like what you could buy in the store at the time. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, coffee ice cream, though, is, is my jam. But um, anyways, I think <laughs> I'm surprised that I saw friends at Epicurious because they're like, I can't believe you're making me try 25 like sorbets right now, which sounds fantastic, but it's it's a little intense. Uh, but that was a lot of fun and, and got to blog about like random, you know, things that I had found and. It was, it was an incredible team. Um, and then you went to culinary school. And then I went to culinary <laughs> school, finally. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I'm, I'm going to have a little honest moment here, I it, I had visited numerous uh, schools over the years, and then after a uh, breakup, oof, I was Sorry, like... Sorry, nobody's listening. No, <laughs> no, no, no tears right now. I'm just kidding. Um... After a year, I was like, okay, get it together, girl, and looked at the Natural Gourmet, which I had heard of through a friend. Um, Natural Gourmet uh, Institute. Institute. I'm sorry, here in New York, and they had a chef's training program there. You could do it full-time or you could do it part-time, and I went uh, part-time. It was Wednesdays, like, you know, from 6 to 10 or something, and Saturdays from 9 to 4. And, and why Natural Gourmet instead of the other places you'd seen? You know, I... Um, it, it just kind of spoke to me in more the type of food that I end up cooking. I am pretty uh, health-focused with, with a little dash of uh, less healthy. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it just spoke to me. It was like a much smaller school, um, though some friends would definitely disagree. I don't see myself as competitive. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and that it just, for me, it just felt like a more chill. I am definitely a chill 
chef. I think I think people would agree with that. But so yeah, so I was like, let's do this. And they also serve these cookies, you know. <laughs> so I was they like, got sold, you in. <laughs> sold. Um, so yeah, that was that was really. We've fun. been talking for like what like nine minutes, and cookies have come up. I know. Okay. It's not going to be theme. the first. It's not going to be the first time. They will definitely be coming back. Do you have a what's your what's your cookie specialty? Um, that I make or that yeah, I like they, to eat? Oh, either one, but that you make. Um, I do love Levan cookies. Um, in yeah. terms of specialty, um, I do. There's this chocolate chip recipe that my mom introduced me to, but I also love like Russian tea cakes. Ooh, yes. Those are so like, oh my God, they're so indulgent, so delicious. Um, yeah, and what you, else? You lived in Moscow for a while, didn't you? So my parents lived in Moscow. Oh, okay. Good memory. Uh, out of college, they, so I graduated in 03. No, I'm not 37. Who's <laughs> uh, counting? Um, and they moved there. Um, and so I got to visit numerous times. I mean, it's fascinating, fascinating experience. Uh, I feel fortunate to have had that opportunity. Um, well, I always was super jet lagged. It was like next level. <laughs> what were some of the other cities that your parents worked in or that you lived in growing up? So I was not technically. I was born in Geneva uh, in Switzerland. My dad had been stationed there. Prior to my being born, they had lived in Hong Kong and Argentina or Buenos Aires. Um, and then after I was born, we lived in, let's see, Brazil, New York, uh, Mexico City. Uh, they lived in London. They lived in Porto. They lived in Houston. They lived in Ottawa. <laughs> so kind of, yeah, all over. Uh, and what are some of the food memories you have of these places? Let's see. Um, Brazil, I would say there was this place called Delicia, which means delicious, uh, that was near our house. And they had these little media lunas, which are like little mini croissants, like soaked and soaked in butter and just delicious. And like little mini pizzas from there. Um, I think I was sharing earlier today at lunch my first memory of like American food was <laughs> essentially candy because my dad would travel and I'd be like okay hook it up dad like I need some I need some candy <laughs> and always uh asking him to bring back fruit roll-ups but he always brought back Twizzlers <laughs> I'm, like, I'm the same dad <laughs> I'm like go back and double bubble gum which I totally still chew today and uh, so that, and then like when we went to New York, I was saying earlier, I was like, Dr. Pepper, there's this like Dr. Pepper commercial. And I remember tasting that. I'm like, what is that? Like, <laughs> what is that flavor? And what uh, is that flavor? What? I have Nobody no knows. idea. It's so, 23, 27 flavors. Oh my God. Oh, really? Right? Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Pepper. It's, it's it really, remind, it's really it reminds good. reminds me a lot of like nutmeg and, and, uh -huh. and just well, yeah, warming. Yeah, there's no yeah. warming spices, yeah. and I agree. Yeah. Um, and then Mexico City was like super eye opening. You know, I was I moved there when I was like eleven or twelve, and had a very different understanding of what Mexican food was. And I think a lot of my peers did too. And then you went and you're like, oh, like mm -hmm. what are chiles rellenos? What is mame? And you know all these beautiful fruits. And oh, taco is not like that, or tostada and quesadilla. Mm -hmm. I'm like literally dipping a fork into melted cheese and putting it on a fresh 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 tortilla life changing yeah. so so yeah it was and cajeta oh my god don't get me started on cajeta <laughs> which is goat's milk uh, caramel it's so good oh, it's so good I recently worked with um, some chefs from Mexico, oh. and we were all having a conversation about burritos uh -huh. and then it was a woman and a man and they're like what's a what is this burrito? We've never had it. <laughs> and apparently they're like, I think some of the towns mm. in northern Mexico will have it, but it is not like yeah, this no, no. thing yeah. that's just widespread. So, yeah. Yeah. 
I yeah, I know. <laughs> I was in I was in Guatemala recently, and there was a, a oh, street amazing. vendor making a flour, essentially a burrito. Although that's not what she called it, but it was a flour tortilla that she was stretching out, rolling out, and then uh, griddling to order and filling with chopped meat and mm. cream and all kinds of like chopped pickly vegetables. Is it like a tlayuda? It wasn't a tlayuda because no. it wasn't flat. It was okay. rolled up like oh, a burrito or like a wow. I don't know. It was like a it was about the size of a Toyota, and then it got rolled. So wow. Was, uh, yeah, anyway. what's incredible, Mexico is just, every time I go, I'm like, what's that? Yeah. Like, a Toyota just got introduced to when I went to Oaxaca, like, two years ago. Yeah. And, like, never, like. There was a, a great restaurant that just got written up in the Times by one of our uh, former oh, my guests. <laughs> by Lagaya Michan wrote a, a review of a Tlayuda restaurant in Queens, Ooh, uh, no Oaxacan. Way. What? Uh, hmm. the, 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 yeah. uh, after this, that's where I'll be <laughs> yeah, going. Right, let's go. We'll go and have some second lunch. And yeah. um, so what, how do you feel like your your culinary style or your your style in the kitchen today was influenced by all of the places that you lived and traveled? Well, you know... I kind of, when I go in the kitchen, I don't really, I think I have like no rules. I'm like, oh, I was saying earlier, my creative process is more like uh, ingredient focused. So I'll become obsessed with, you know, anchovies. And I'm like, let's add anchovies to everything. <laughs> and then, you know, or tahini or harissa. And so, you know, a lot of the dinners that I do, so I do a lot of um, dinner collaborations and things like that. And a lot of them are sort of family style. And so you won't necessarily, it won't be like, and tonight is Moroccan night. Mm-hmm. Like I, I will do a tagine and then I'll do like a grain dish that won't necessarily be um, couscous. It might have, um, yeah, I might like do a Japanese ri- like flavored rice. And so, yeah, there's like no rules. <laughs> and usually I'm like, I hope that works out. And usually I think people are pretty happy. I did a dinner the other night and it was like, uh, curried cauliflower and carrots and I added like crispy peas and coconut and so within a dish I think the ingredients make sense <laughs> and then in another dish it might like speak to a completely different culture uh, but there's just so many flavors I still have yet to discover which is really exciting um, when I was yeah when I was in the restaurants it was much more Latin inspired for sure and that was really fun because it it drew from like Brazil and Colombia and Peru, which I still haven't been to, but um, learned a lot about those flavors through um, uh, my business partner and the executive chef there, Felipe. So, yeah. and let's yeah, let's talk about that. Um, how did you come to open these restaurants? How did uh, your involvement like unfold through the years? And some yeah. favorite memories yeah. of the times there. So yeah, it's it's kind of a great. I love this story. Um, so I was at Epicurious. It was year four, I would say. And um, I had connected with a friend, or actually it was just a classmate uh, from when I lived in Mexico City. His name was Danielle Mauser. Um, and uh, amazing person. And he was like, look, uh, you should connect with Felipe Donnelly. Remember him from Mexico City? I was like, of course. Um, he, you know, he and I were friends from, from class, but I wouldn't say like, had been in touch that much over the years, and, and Danielle was like, he and his wife, Tammy, are doing these pop-ups out of their apartment called Worth Kitchen. They're amazing. Everyone's, like, talking about it, and you should go. And so he's like, write them, or he put us in touch. I don't remember. So certainly enough, I wrote them and, and was like, oh, my God, it would be amazing to see you. This is congratulations. Blah, blah, blah. And um, I attended one of their bigger dinners, I believe, um, and it wasn't necessarily in their home, I think, the first one. 
And yeah, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. It smells amazing. Like I had never met Tammy. I hadn't seen Felipe in years. And I was like, oh, I love you guys. <laughs> and I joke around. I always tell the story that I like then proceeded to stalk them, which I'm not a stalker. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just was like, hey, anytime you want to cook, which was it's kind of the way that I am. Like anytime I meet someone who loves food, I'm like, hey, let's cook together. Like I think that's such a great way to get to know someone. Um, and, and surely enough, uh, that's what happened. I think... I think I like hosted a dinner and Felipe came and made this one pasta dish. We were doing this cookbook club um, using Odo Lange's cookbook. So basically I had sent 20 different recipes out to 20 different friends and we had like 20 different dishes from Odo Lange when Plenty first came out. And he made this pasta dish with edamame and it was like everyone's favorite. I'm like, <laughs> nice one, dude. Uh, but uh, anyways, and then, yeah, I, th- I you know, if my memory serves me right, I think I was probably like, yeah, anytime you want to cook and... He got invited to do a dinner at City Grid and um, was kind enough to extend the invitation. And, and so I got to cook with him. Um, and, uh, yeah, we we did this dinner, the three of us, I believe, uh, for 35 people. And it was a beautiful room and just got along super well. And, and, and it kind of started from there. You know, we did another dinner. And then he and Tammy had been like, we're going to open up this restaurant. And they had a beautiful story. Uh, about the two of them and their love of food and what they had created in the past year. Um, and a friend had created a video, which was like essentially a film because it was it's really well done. And yeah, there, you know, I remember sitting with Felipe um, at Polcaria, I think, and he was like, you know, that was so much fun. We'd love for you to be involved. And at the time, I was at Epicuria still and um, in culinary school part time. And I was like, yeah, like I was like, you know, friendship first. Let's see how this goes and so um I can I collaborated created with him like I think we met up every Sunday and the three of us would hang out and just taste food and it kind of went from there and and yeah Tammy and Felipe had found the space salt which what used to be salt and like basically like built it with their bare hands and you know I was involved in the best way I could be in the beginning and then um eventually had another aha moment where I was there one weekend after uh, they had opened and they had gone off to, I think, Miami. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm in love with this place. <laughs> like, I got to do this. And, and opening up a restaurant was always something that I wanted to do. I think I was always like, ah, oh, New York, I don't know. Am I going to stay here? I think I had the itch because I moved around so much growing up. And and then I was like, oh, my God, I want and like, I'm sure that I wrote them immediately as they're on vacation. Like, leave us alone. <laughs> Being like, I like need how can we make this happen? So and that was you were still working at. I still got the curious, yeah, point. yeah. And so then I think I did, like, my externship from culinary school with Komodo. Um, and so, yeah. So that I was, like, coming in once a week, or uh, if, if I'm correct there. Uh, so, but, yeah. Well, so tell us about the process of opening a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, like, what was That's that like? That's a huge it's, undertaking. It's, I mean, um, you know, the thing is with that, like, they really, they, like, it was the two of them. And I was, I became part of it. Um, at a certain point and so they they yeah they like literally tore the place apart and like painted it and you know raised the money to do it and and had this beautiful video that was telling that shares their story and ended up doing a kickstarter uh campaign and and raising a bit just a little bit of money but it people were just so blown away by that story you know and like people would come into the restaurant and be like oh my god i saw that video so uh but yeah and then you know it's like it's kind of like a house too. Like things start coming together bit by bit. You're like, oh, here's the like, mm-hmm. you know, the painting, and here's the mirror. And um, one of the first events that we did was uh, actually 
this friend of mine's birthday. And, like, the place was, like, you know, we're, like, just letting you know it's still coming together. But they were, like, it was a beautiful night. So, you know, and then you first, like, create a menu. It's you're super proud of it. And then you know that, like, it might change a little bit. And, and you know, you start figuring out, like, oh, I like working with this purveyor or this purveyor. And, like, you're always discovering things and, you know, going to the farmer's market. I'm, like, oh, um, yeah. Was it hard um, to accept menu changes as they happened? I mean, there's definitely a level of attachment when you, you know, you put something out there for the first time and then you receive feedback or like, love this, don't like this. And people can be randomly mean, you know, like dealing with all of the customer facing interaction. Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's, I mean, we had a lamb slider that was on the menu the whole time, and that was, like, a crowd favorite. So we're like, yeah, lamb slider. Like, you know, if, if there's any moment where you're, like, getting not positive feedback, you're like, but the lamb slider. <laughs> no, there was a, the whole menu was really, I think, something we all worked really hard on. And and if, if there was a menu change because something didn't work out, it kind of made sense. Like, there was definitely a dessert that I think I pushed that was like a uh, Brazilian cheese bread bread pudding, and mm-hmm. I always say it's interesting to get people's feedback, and also um, because it was the most loved and the most hated dessert of all time. <laughs> you know, like would what, get what was it? How did it? It was yeah. literally what was so polarizing about it because it was like cheese, and people were like, and there's chocolate, and then you know it's literally like supposed to be a dessert. But I am a big fan of sweet and salty, and so I was like, yeah, totally, this totally works, totally works. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It was like, Felipe was like, I'm so sorry. This is just not working now. <laughs> but we, oh, then for a while there, there was a couple who loved it. And she, I think, was gluten-free. And so she was like, she would literally call me like, hey, can you make this, um, can you make this uh, bread pudding? <laughs> but I think they were the, also the only couple who ever asked that. But it was just always funny to me. And what was the, the process like to to make everything match because you're, you're working on a menu, which is one type of creative process. You're building out a space, which is another type of creative process. You're, you're talking about a, a style of customer service or, sure. or a, a, a feel that you want the restaurant to have. Um, what were the conversations like to bring all of those together and make sure they all, they all worked? Well, I think what's beautiful is, you know, it was a team of four of us. It was Tammy and Felipe and Mac and, uh, everyone's so creative in their own way and everyone's so, uh, yeah, like inspiring and, and like we were friends, but also business partners. And so everyone has their talent that they, you know, it's like Tammy's like brand strategist extraordinaire and like incredible psalm. So, you know, she would curate the wine list and then you have, um, you know, in terms of like the look and feel the same there, Felipe, she and Felipe had worked together for so long and knew what kind of like worked for them out of their space. And then Mac had expertise running front of house and like has incredible uh, um, creative mind as well. So yeah, it's just kind of everyone everyone being able to um, share like their talent and and if that answers your question. Was it hard to work with multiple creative people? I mean, we've had... Oh, sure, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. I mean... Yeah, but I think we always joked that I that uh, Tammy and, and Mac were similar, and that Felipe and I were similar. Um, at some point, yeah. So it kind of it worked in that sense too. Do you uh, have Do you have lessons that you learned, or, or things that if somebody came to you today and said, "I'm thinking about starting a restaurant," what What should I remember? What should I think about? What would you? What would you, um, tell them? you know, I think people often are like, "Oh, do you need to go to culinary school?" And I'm, um, you know, I had a great experience, but I learned so much more in the kitchen. Um, yeah, and, I know you know, um, 
yeah, it's, it's hard work, um, but it's incredible. You create a community. Um, there's something really awesome to see people come back to your place. You know, you, you create a family, like, um, and uh, yeah, it's hard work. <laughs> My husband's always like has this ideal vision That's of pretty. our random restaurant in the future where he's like, I just want a place where I can come. Uh, he wakes up early, come in at 5 a.m. and there's no one there and it kind of smells like cleaning products. Yeah. And I just sit on the counter and read a newspaper. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, that, just that. That's all I want. I was like, we don't even need an open restaurant. We could right. just go to an abandoned store. You can do this every morning. But um, yeah, there's something something beautiful about it being your own place. Yeah. And it's it's hard work, but it's, it's uh, really, really fun, too. Do you, you miss know? it? Um, sometimes, yeah. I mean, I miss I miss uh, um, the the partnership. Yeah. Well, so. tell us um after Komodo, like, what are you doing now, and uh, where has it taken it you? Yeah. Um. So, I think two years ago, around that time, I was like, okay, um, this is an incredible journey. Um, and I feel very lucky to have had it. Um, and I think that there's just another aha moment in my life where I'm like, okay, I want to, you know, social impact is a huge component of uh, what drives me and what I'm passionate about and, and like, um, taking my, like, education and health and wellness and kind of trying to use that to um, create opportunity and, and accessibility for those who don't have um, access to, like, healthy food and, mm-hmm. and health education. And so I've worked with different schools and different school programs and trying to teach health education to kids. Um, and a lot, you know, I had another aha moment uh, in D.C. You know, after I left, so let me backtrack for a second. When I, after I left um, the restaurant business full time, I was just like, am I a chef? You know, I definitely had that moment. I'm like, okay, I know that it's time to go, but like, am I a chef? And am I going to go back to writing? So I went back to writing and wrote about, did like recipe development for certain um, healthy websites, uh, like Mind Body Green and Clean Plates and all this stuff and enjoyed that a lot, but um, also found myself doing like smaller dinners, like just like dinner parties. And then I was in DC. I went to uh, the Broccoli City Festival um, for a day and saw this one person speak, Michael Skolnick, super inspiring, uh, especially with the kind of work that he does. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, yeah, I went up to him was like, I want to talk to you. And then I emailed him and sent him some like long not epic a, emails. Not a stalker. Not, not a stalker. <laughs> not no. a stalker. <laughs> this is not a trend. And and surely enough, met up with him and I was like, you know, I love what you're doing. And he was doing these dinners, getting gathering people together and and was like, look, we have these dinners once a week or once a month. I don't remember. Um, and uh, talking about a certain topic and like what's our call to action. He's definitely someone who takes a lot of um, action. Um, and, and so, yeah, I don't know. I left that meeting and I was like, yeah, okay. So maybe my thing is that I provide the opportunity to like make dinner for any organization or any individual whose main focus is to create change for the greater good. And so that's kind of how I've, you know, I guess positioned myself to the world and Mm -hmm. to like, I'm a big, like put the energy out type person. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, and so I'm always like, if someone, if I meet someone, I'm like, okay, well, if you ever want to do a dinner, like, let me know, because a lot can happen over a meal, you know, it's, it's opportunity for there to be uh, empathy, there's, yeah, especially when it comes to food and culture, 
Um, like you can understand someone, maybe there's an opportunity for greater understanding through a meal and through different flavors and to do something that everyone hopefully gets to do, which is eat a dish, eat food. Yeah. Um, so yeah, did that, did that sound good? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break, okay. uh, but we'll be back in two minutes. Cool. Thank you. Maybe you're looking for a coat for yourself, or you want a bold look for your staff. You might even need a new style for your restaurant, whether it's modern, industrial, or farm-to-table. Whatever you're looking for, Happy Chef has got you covered. Their wide variety of chef apparel and products are perfect for teams of all sizes and styles. And with the industry's easiest custom embroidery, you can add your logo, name, or fun artwork to many of their other products in minutes. Here's what you do. Visit happychef.com and choose from their incredible selection. With only a couple clicks, you can customize many of their products to personalize your look. Right now, they're even offering free custom logo setup on all orders over $150, a $95 value totally free. Visit happychef.com now to order your free 2018 catalog featuring new styles and incredible comfort. Happy Chef, the perfect style, whatever your recipe. we're back. So, uh, Carolina, you were just talking about um, some of the social impact projects that you've been involved with. Um, one of the things that I've seen myself also trying to find this, the bridge between social impact and, and food, is that people get distracted by the food. <laughs> sight of the, the social impact, the conversation that you wanted them to have. I had a, an activist ice cream cart for a while serving all these flavors inspired by revolutions or political movements. The best one was the Peking duck ice cream. <laughs> oh my word. But with, with the goal of taking these crazy ice cream flavors to have people think about like this particular political situation in yeah. India or, or formerly Portuguese colonies in West Africa sure. or whatever. Um, but all anybody wanted to do was eat ice cream, and right. that was always like endlessly mm -hmm. frustrating. So how do you how do you find the link between those two? How do you get people to get excited about food, which is ideally a positive experience, and get them to think about social impact or or access or or opportunity, which often has some some negative or, or at the very least difficult sure. yeah. topics to navigate, and then act on it. Yeah. How do yeah, they that. leave that dinner and actually go do something? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and I've been learning along the way too by attending certain events where I'm like, okay, that was a good idea. Like I went um, and saw um, the uh, Resistance Revival Chorus, which um, is like a women's march inspired uh, musical group. And they're amazing, and um, and Paula, who is one of the one of the founders, I guess. Um, you know, she's like, okay, we're gonna keep singing, but like everyone has their phone, right? And was like, everyone, I know you have your phone, so like do this now. And it was like, go on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, and like, you know, it was like hashtag. Um, I think for at that point, it was like uh, pass the Dream Act now. So you know, I was like, okay, I'm gonna take note of that because. You know, yeah, I've certainly guilty as charged and having done these dinners, I'm like, okay, that was nice. Now what? Like, mm -hmm. you know, why haven't, why hasn't there been there, why hasn't there been progress 
uh, at this dinner. I'm like, damn it, this does not go according to plan. And so, yeah, I'll be the first one to be like, I'm, I'm still learning as well. Um, you know, what um, are some things that have gone well? Um, so for example, I'm, so I helped, um, create the food and beverage program at this co-working space called the assemblage, uh, with my friend, Noel Grapner, who's a incredible, uh, doctor, Ayurvedic doctor. And, um, anyways, there's an opportunity I've been doing, this would be the third one. Um, I got to collaborate. I know there's a lot of collaborations here with three other <laughs> women on this ICU, um, like ICU. You know, like with my eyes, dinner series, um, and you know, it came from as like the four of us meeting, but two of the hosts, um, Juanita and Genevieve, um, had both experienced uh, some time in a refugee camp, thinking that they were both going to like change the refugees' lives, and realizing mm. that they were so blown away by their experience and their lives were changed. And from that, it was kind of like, what if we did this dinner series where um, everyone goes around and um, introduces themselves using their head, their heart, and their stomach, um, and basically um, like allows for everyone to see them for who they are. So again, creating empathy through storytelling, um, through just humanizing humans. <laughs> And, you know, these are all beautiful experiences. Those who got to attend are members. They're not members. Um, it's like about 20 to 25 people. I got to create food based on that. And, yeah, great. The people in the room, like, had a memorable experience. And so, you know, I think a week and a half ago, we had a bigger conversation. And it was like, okay, how can we take this beyond the walls of the of this space? Because that's really what is needed you know like everyone deserves to be seen but why like how can we go beyond that and so whether it's okay let's get um a group of people like a large group of people to donate time to a soup kitchen and mm -hmm. just acknowledge people like human touch and like seeing and and connecting is like invaluable you know it's so there's so much there so, so that kind of, you know, after being like, yeah, you know, let's, let's go beyond that. Um, I think Juanita does a lot of social impact and she's like, look, I'm creating these bags to give to an organization that, um, works with foster children who, you know, obviously in a lot of cases go from place to place. And so we were like, okay, so she's like, I'm buying these bags and like creating them myself. We're like, okay, but there's so many creatives within this space. Like, why don't we create a market? And actually, we're looking to do these assemblage dinners once uh, a month, which are about to be or will probably be 60 to 100 people. So, wow, we could get 100 people to create these bags and purchase things from different creatives. And like really like that's something that these kids can carry with them from place to place. Hopefully they don't have to go from place to place. So it's what will be in the bags. Um, so there, for example, there is um, Ubuntu Market, which is this create incredible uh, marketplace that uh, basically was founded by these two women, um, Yo-Yo and Kitsia. And uh, it's basically artifacts and, and artifacts? No. <laughs> 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 um, wrong word. Uh, what do I want to say? Like these beautiful pieces, everything from, um, from Mexico, actually all over the world. Um, so it can be anything from a pom-pom necklace mm -hmm. to um, like a blanket to, um, you know, whether it's, for example, I mean, this is not a good example because it's perishable, but uh, one of the members of the assemblage came out with this yogurt called Lava. So whether it's like a 
Yeah, it's just any little piece that someone can carry with them. So that's that's like a little change. I think little simple things that someone who has had a tough life can connect to is like, I think that's progress. Yeah, I think so. uh, a lot of times it's all the, the small words that matter. You know, it, sometimes it's uh, it feels trivial to say like this, this hurt me mm-hmm. or this, this inspired me. It can be something, an innocuous comment. I know um, I, I am writing an article about this, but uh, there was a, a long time ago, uh, one of the chefs said something along the lines of how he really appreciated Chinese cuisine. And mm. it was like the first time I really heard that because, as you know, um, the culinary schools are so French focused and, sure. you know, really feeling like your cuisine is not uh, represented or not understood. And it's nice to just hear words of affirmation matter. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, I've worked with Bubble Organization before and um, I've, which is a basically a program that enters schools for about two years, I want to say, and um, like, you know, create this curriculum that basically teaches um, young kids about health education. And it's little like cooking classes and it's really fun. And first of all, they're all like the things that come out of kids' mouths. I'm like, oh my God, I just, I should be taking notes. This is amazing. You're so (laughs) smart. But also, you know, in one specific case, I remember this little girl being like, can I be a chef when I grow up? Mm -hmm. And I like literally almost started crying. I was like, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Like, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise, you know? And that was like monumental for me because... I know that as a kid, I absorbed a lot of things and I have things that I remember and, mm-hmm. and hopefully that like will give her the, the confidence to do anything that she wants. So again, little, little steps. I, I worry. I mean, not, not to be like the skeptic in the room, but I mean, I see a lot of these programs and having come from uh, both a kitchen background and international development background myself, I've seen a lot of programs in other countries. I just, I just worry. Sometimes the pro- programs are very well-meaning, yeah. and sometimes they accomplish things. But often those two things don't align. I, you know, I, I worry that that social impact programs related to food are often just like an antidote to white guilt more than they are mm-hmm. an, an antidote to a particular problem or a, a solution. Uh, especially a systemic solution to a problem. It's, yeah. it's a it's a symptomatic response, and whether the symptom is like, I feel bad because I have access to things and you don't, yeah. or I don't know, yeah, <laughs> I don't, like I don't know what my the... question is, but how do you figure that out? How do you come up with a program that, that is both successful and truly effective in a, in a meaningful way? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Or if you're, if you're working with someone else, which it sounds like you do a lot of, how do you find the right organization? How do you find the right organization? How do you give someone feedback to say like, okay, here are some ways that that I, I see where you're going with this. I, I get that you're well-meaning with this project, but here's some ways that maybe we can make it a little more effective and less, yeah. uh, you know, less, less yeah. just for show. I mean, it really does have to be very hands-on, you know? Because, I mean, even in certain situations, I've taught kids, and, and then I'm like, they're like, oh, I forgot, like a little snack, and then they're like, oh, I forgot my lunch at home. And I'm like, okay, so what will you eat? And then they're like, oh, ham and cheese, and this is the school providing, and I'm like, man, you know, like that's... Yep couple steps back I mean it's not the end of the world but it's just not it doesn't align with what she, the class that she just came out of you know for me again I'm the wolf be the first to say I'm still figuring it out but the approach that I'm taking is targeting uh, or trying to connect more with bigger brands that have a lot of integrity and who are doing a great thing and being like how could I work with you in trying to bring what you've created to underserved um, communities, you know, Um, but you also have to know your audience, you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with 
creating food and dishes that people within the community can connect to in a certain way. Because food speaks many different languages, you know, and I've definitely been in situations where it's like, oh, can you make this? Can you make that? And a lot of the dishes they're asking about, you know, the, the kids or the adults are asking about is because it speaks to them because that's how they grew up. And, and so I'm a big, like, I'm a super nostalgic person and someone who, like, is always talking about memories and stuff for like that. <laughs> yeah, but that's just like, okay, um, it's, for, it's like the language that someone can understand, you know? And I'm not talking about, like, English. It's just yeah. like, okay, this flavor, yeah, this reminds me of this time. And I don't know. I think there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, but, that, but I totally know what you mean. It's, it's a big... It's, you know, don't get me started on, like, hospitals and schools and, like, what a lot of people are being fed. It's, yeah, it's a big monster. So what did you put on the menu at, at the assemblage to, I mean, uh, also the assemblage reaches a particular 1, wealthy clientele. So so there's a, a certain price point that you're able to I completely uh, spend on, on the dishes. But but I guess this being your ideal healthy sure. uh, food, what would sure. you, what did you so, make? So I worked with Noelle, um, who is an Arabic doctor, and she has studied this for many, many years. And it was something that I had heard of, but never had necessarily studied myself. So I learned a lot from her. And basically, in a very short version, it's um, 5,000 years old. And it's about, um, when it, in terms of cooking, it's about um, focusing on ingredients that are seasonal, truly seasonal. Not, not the Brussels sprout, like which I love, but like, you know. Um, truly seasonal, um, as local as possible. And also, you know, there's six, t- six tastes. And with each season, there are dominating tastes. So the idea is that, like, each bowl has all of them, but there's three that are, like, more dominant. Mm-hmm. I know, it's quite... And, like, the food is, is, you know, there's certain rules depending on the season. It's supposed to be room temp. It's never, like, salad's even supposed to be slightly cooked and, you know, no fruit. Like, it's, there's the whole thing. I'll just say that if you go there, the experiences you have for breakfast and lunch, like an array of different, um, of, you know, for breakfast, it's like an egg dish. It might be greens. It might be oats. So it's, it's like a community spread is what we call it. Um, and, you know, you do, as a member, you pay a monthly fee. And so it's part of the membership, which I think a lot of people were also, like, intrigued by. And the same thing applies to lunch. And then dinner's a la carte because there's a lot of programming at night. Um, And that's more like finger food. Um, But, yeah, so it's a lot of, like, simple. um, You can have, like, roasted carrots. And, you know, you might have uh, yesterday there was quinoa with caramelized onions. And there's a chicken. And, like, super simple. But then you have the opportunity to add your own spices and your own sauces. So it is a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure. And the idea is that it's inspired by Ayurveda. But also, like, every day is a new day, you know? Like, the way you felt yesterday was not necessarily how you're going to feel today. So it's, it's giving you the opportunity to really be, like, in your body and, like, listen because you, I think a lot of times we're disconnected from our bodies and there's this is an opportunity to be like, okay, what can I feel? Like, it's not only about, you know, what am I eating now? How am I going to feel later? So that's really the idea. Because I'm like, we'll be like, um, I, eating ice cream now will make me feel great later. <laughs> Always. <laughs> you know, but like if <laughs> if you're being like, no, actually, I, I, yeah, no, I'm good. I don't need to eat more. Um, so so it's it's really about that. Um, and What's uh, your favorite thing to eat when you're there? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, 
you know, well, it's going to be like an ingredient, which is really funny. I'm kind of obsessed with mustard. Is oh, that, I love is that oh, your ingredient? The, you were saying you, you used to be obsessed with anchovies and harissa. Is totally. Your, is mustard your Do you thing like now? Sir Kensington's mustard? Because we, we had him on the show too. <laughs> so good. So good. But, you know, it's funny. There's always, there's those things like, you know, if you tell someone you made ricotta, it's not like nothing, but you're like, actually, it's pretty easy. Mm. And so in this case, we like have homemade mustard and it's like so easy. <laughs> but full disclosure, I hadn't made it until like a couple months ago. And I'm like, uh, I made mustard. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the, after you've like created your bowl, you basically, um, yeah, you can add uh Kimpira, you can add uh, what else? I think there's like pickled cucumbers, and I'm always like mustard. I'm like mustard's good for me, right? Yeah, yep. I think uh, so. So how, how do you make mustard? Um, you basically, in this case, we have uh, brown and uh, black mustard seeds, and then you soak them in vinegar, and then if my memory serves me, and then I added a little bit of like sweetness because I always do, so I probably add a little maple syrup or something to it, um, and then you, I, I think. In the recipe that I did, partially ground um, the mustard seeds before. Yeah, I just threw that recipe down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like confused everyone. <laughs> but yeah. it's pretty easy. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Yeah. The mustard seeds themselves are very sticky. Yeah. They have this like uh, mm-hmm. moisture that comes out of them that you don't realize when you just look at them dry, but they're very sticky. That's so good. Yeah. And, and yeah. you can get mustard seeds from Ethan, right? Oh, uh, oh yeah. No, no, not yet. Really. No, okay. Yeah. I had some. I haven't had any recently. Anyway, no. But there are lots of great places to get mustard seeds, and and making your own mustard is is fun, regardless of what mustard yeah. seeds you're using. Yeah. And for our last few minutes, we always do a couple of quick fire awesome. questions. Bring it on. So I I will start. I guess. Um, how do you like your eggs in the morning? Over oh, easy. With mustard. <laughs> Actually, oh my God, no, with um, curry powder. Mm. I mean, there's so many different types of curry, but curry powder and then like a little drizzle of honey. Mm-hmm. So that good. sounds good. So good. Um, what did you eat for lunch as a kid growing up in all these? We always ask all, all of our guests this, but you grew up in so many different places. Yeah. <laughs> what, were your, what were your school lunches <laughs> like in Switzerland and Mexico and Ottawa and all the other places? Uh, in Mexico, it was definitely... Um, uh, my fr- actually, my friend used to, her mom used to make this like chicken and avocado sandwich that was killer. Uh, but I also ate a lot of TCB wine, <laughs> ice cream, ice cream. <laughs> TCB wine. <Yeah. laughs> that was cool back then. Uh, I'm kidding. A lot of chicken tostadas um, would come home and have a pretty late lunch. Actually, um, I was like molletes, which was like uh, toasted bread and refried beans and melted cheese and some other toppings. Um, in, um, let's see, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, in, in Russia, I ate home a lot because, um, yeah, because my parents insisted on it. But, you know, I think also part of the reason that I love food so much and became part of my, um, profession was my parents exposed us to like some pretty out there, what I consider out there flavors early on in life. And, and yeah, um, Largely because they love food so much. So I had like escargot very young and was like, 
I liked I liked the breadcrumbs and the butter a lot more than the actual escargot. <laughs> I, think, I think everybody. I'm like, can I just get that? Actually, why do I pretend to like this? I had escargot in Vietnam. It's kind of interesting because it's like a you know a paste holder or steak whatever from um, when they were French occupied, and theirs is like sweet uh-huh. and salty oh, with like garlic and chilies, or at least the one that I had, which was. And you can just buy them at these little stands, and there's like huge things of snails, and you point at them and tell them like one kilo of escargot and they'll yum. take it in the back and cook it for you. Yum. And, um, <laughs> yum. Um, in Brazil, my grandmother lived in Rio and she was an incredible cook and with my grandfather. My grandfather lived till he was, they both lived till they were like in their 90s and he specifically ate rice and beans, farofa, which is like yuca, um, like a toasted yuca and then like steak. And I'm like, I'm just oh, going to eat what okay. he's eating because he's doing real well. <laughs> and he would have like a beer and so we, that was always like. That was your, your childhood lunch with steak, oh, rice, and beans, <laughs> and a beer. <laughs> I love it. Good. <laughs> definitely rice and beans. Definitely rice. So yeah. good. So good. Um, if you could acquire a new skill overnight, what would it be? Um, my singing voice isn't like terrible, but I would love to be like a great singer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would, or magic. I would love to be like. I've had some some magic experiences and I'm just like <laughs> I don't understand. Like I like cards magic or like magic on stage magic. Um no, I have one specific memory is I was with a friend of mine in Central Park and this guy came up to us he's like, "Can I do some magic?" and I'm like, "I don't know why we're like, yeah, sure." And he's like, "Give me a ring." And I'm like, um, "Am I going to see that ever again?" <laughs> uh, but he basically like made it disappear and I thought he was going to do the good old like hand behind the ear and uh-huh. it, like just appears and no, he I tell the story all the time because I'm still like I'm still trying to figure it out. He like reached into his um, jacket, pulled out a wallet. The first time he opened up his wallet, took out an envelope, ripped the envelope open, and my ring fell out. And I'm like, what? No. Like my mind is playing tricks on me. Crazy. And then the ring disappeared again. And this time he took a wallet out of his like back pocket. The man had lots of wallets, <laughs> and um, it was one of those wallets that has um, like the key rings. And surely enough, my ring was hanging, and I was just like, I "Wow!" Know. It was incredible. It was incredible, incredible. Uh, and there's apparently a lot of great magic shows here in New York. But, <laughs> anyways, that's yeah. So singing or magic. Um, what about a? If, is there a particular cuisine or, or culinary style that you've always wanted to learn but have never have never been able to? Um, I would love to get more acquainted with um, like African flavors uh, for sure. Um, I've done a lot of like uh, Moroccan. Um, I like that a lot, but West African, or um, which I know is like a big region. Um, and there's a, a fair amount of West African influence in in some Brazilian food, isn't there? Yeah, there's a, there is. It's true. It's true. So I what guess. are what are some of the what are some of the Brazilian dishes that that have been influenced by? West um, definitely, um, like moqueca. Um, what else? There's moqueca. Sorry, it's a Brazilian like fish stew. So um, it's it can be fish or shrimp. Um, so it's usually like shrimp, little mini dried shrimp, coconut oil, dende oil. Definitely came from Africa. It's like a palm tree oil, uh, which brings the color and sort of like the weight. Um, then you have peppers and onions and what else is in there? I think some cilantro. Um, I've Sounds d- great. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful and, and amazing. Um, then I think baba. Baba is like, it's so funny. It's like not an attractive dish at all, but it's delicious. Uh, it's made, Baba is, I think, the one with yuca. There's one that's with okra, but it's basically yuca with shrimp. And it looks like kind of like porridge. And you're like, okay. 
and again has like dried shrimp and a little bit of coconut milk and um and that's really really nice um what else there's also like a lot of portuguese influence in brazilian cooking for sure do you have Um, any favorite brazilian restaurants in new york Someone asked me this the other day. Um, it's been, I'm like, my mom's house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah. what, what's she doing Saturday? Uh, yeah, <laughs> seriously. Uh, Can I make a reservation? When, uh, you know, there were definitely beautiful Brazilian flavors at Comodo. Someone uh, would have said that. Uh, Casa, I really like. It's a super charming little place in the West Village. Um, I mean, I love a churrascaria, which is basically like a meat sweat. Like, <laughs> meat sweats uh, <laughs> inducing restaurants. <laughs> Uh, that's usually yeah. That's that's definitely intense. I'm not even sure what's open there in that in that, um, but but yeah. Cool. I would say this. Well, thank you so much again oh, for joining so us fun. today. And thank um, you. I'm so honored. We just want to shout out to Victor Hirsch, our sound engineer, thank as you. well. <laughs> and, and David Tedeschar, our, our other sound engineer. We're waving thank at you, them. Waving you. through the window. Um, as well as um, our theme song is Blind by the Red Crickets. And uh, Carolina, where can our listeners find you on, on the internet? Um, I have a website called callmecaro.com. Cool. So yeah, check it out. And uh, Jenny, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at, at Chef Jenny Dorsey, and you can find us at, at Why Food Podcast. And I'm at Burlap and Barrel, and we will be back in a few weeks, right? We, we, we take like three, four weeks off? Yep. Summer season starts. Our first show is going to be May 10th, so please look out for us then. In the meantime, so if soon. you have uh, questions, comments, thoughts... Um, questions about where to get chocolate, which is what we've received recently. Um, please email us uh, whyfood at heritageradionetwork.org. And uh, suggestions for people to be on, on the show next season and into the fall. We're already, uh, we've blocked out a lot of dates for the summer season and we've got some great, really cool people Very lined up. Yes, yeah. um, but we've got spots open and spots open in the fall. And so if, if you are a a food entrepreneur, a career changer, uh, let us know. We'd love to so talk cool. to you. Thank you so much. Great See time. you all soon. Or hear you all soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Well, that's history, oh.